0: This morning we will be finishing off the seventh chapter of 2nd Corinthians. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 13 through 16 of chapter 7. And so if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. 2 Corinthians 7, beginning at verse 13. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. O Lord, our God, we come to you, and we come to your word. We are thankful that you have given to us your word, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate our minds, that you would fix our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and that in your word, we would know more of who you are and what duty you require of us. This we ask in Christ's precious name, amen. Well, the entirety of this chapter 7 has been about Paul's joy. After all of the hardships that Paul has gone through, after all of the trouble in the church that Paul has experienced, Paul had been comforted by the Lord, and he had been given great joy. The Lord had let Paul see the positive response to his plea to the church in Corinth and his direction to them for obedience. The Lord had restored Paul's fellowship with the Corinthians. And this is important for not only for Paul, but it is important for you and for me to understand as well, because fellowship relationships are a central part Of the Christian life. We are meant for more than knowing the truth. Knowing the truth is critically important, but we are also to experience the effect of that truth with ourselves and with others. And so, just as Paul made a great effort with the relationships that he had, so should you and I here. This morning, I'd like us to see two things about our relationships and the comfort that we can gain from them, from our text. First, there is a comfort from each other. There is a comfort that comes to us from each other. And then secondly, there is a comfort that comes from God's work in others. There is not only a comfort that we gain from others, we gain a comfort from seeing God at work in others. And so let's look at each of these in turn, but starting first with the comfort that we get from each other, from our relationships with each other. And the very first important relationship that we see here this morning is Titus, the comfort that Paul gets from Titus. Now, Titus is an interesting person because he is important, but we don't know that much about him. He's not mentioned in the book of Acts, which is not surprising because the book of Acts is not exhaustive. Not everything that Paul and the apostles did is recorded in the book of Acts, just as not everything that the Lord Jesus Christ did is recorded in the Gospels. We First come to see Titus, to meet him as it were, in Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. And we know that Paul was was with Titus at the very beginning of his ministry. Paul tells us that after 14 years, he went with Barnabas and Titus down to Jerusalem. At the very beginning of Paul's ministry, Titus was there by his side. Sometime later... Titus was sent to Crete to build up the church there, to ordain and build up elders and the church. And that ministry was important enough that we have a book of the Bible from it as Paul wrote to Titus to assist him and encourage him in the ministry in Crete. Paul was giving Titus pastoral advice. It's one of the pastoral epistles. And so we realize that not only was Titus a companion of Paul. Not only was Titus a missionary, Titus was also a pastor. So Titus was an able helper to Paul, and we see that in this book here, 2 Corinthians. He's mentioned more here than anywhere else in the Bible. And he's mentioned in connection with two critical events. First, as a follow-up, to Paul's harsh letter to the Corinthians to bring them back into the fold and to get them to operate in a proper fashion with discipline. And then second, in stirring up and overseeing the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. We read in 2 Timothy that at the very end of Paul's life, that Titus had been sent to yet another ministry field, to Dalmatia, which is On the European southern coast across from Italy in what is now Croatia and its neighboring environment. So, who is this Titus? One thing that I think is fascinating is that Titus is a very unlikely friend for Paul. Titus was a Gentile. Very likely from Antioch in Syria. He was non-circumcised. He was probably of Greek origin and grew up in a secular household, a Gentile household. He probably did not grow up with the scriptures. Paul, on the other hand, was a Jew's Jew. He was a Pharisee. So culturally, these two men could not have been more different. They were from opposite sides of the world, as you would. Their backgrounds were the opposite of each other. So what brought them together? Jesus. Not their backgrounds. Not the food they ate. Not their families. What brought Paul and Titus together was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know when Titus was converted. But we do know that he went with Paul from the earliest of days. And we know that Titus was a walking symbol of the inclusion of the Gentiles into the church. Paul mentions in Galatians that not even Titus was required to be circumcised. Titus walked, talked, and looked different than Paul, than Timothy, than other Jews. Now this is important for us because the Christian life is different from all other associations that you might have. What brings us together... Is not common likes. It's not commonalities of culture. It's not family upbringing. What brings us together. Is Jesus. Jesus binds his people together. And that means. That we have to work. And we have to live. With those who are different from us. That. Is a blessing from God. The church is not just cross-cultural. The church is pan-cultural. Jesus has his people from every tribe, every language, every nation. And what brings all of them together is faith in Jesus Christ. Now we see exactly how important Titus was to Paul in this chapter Remember the context. There is a church at Corinth. And a conflict had arisen in that church with Paul. And false teachers in that church were using the conflict to push a perversion of the gospel and to push a wedge between the congregation and the apostle. And so what was at stake here was not just one congregation but the future of the gospel in an important and populous area of Greece. Now, we can think about trouble in a church in our modern context. And it is sad when a church has problems. It is sad when a church closes down and dies. But when that happens, we don't think or believe that God's people are left destitute with no place to worship, no community to be with. Because we are blessed here in our nation with dozens and dozens of churches in our towns, in our cities, in our neighborhoods. But at this time in the New Testament, this would have been the church in Corinth. And if this church failed, there would be no church in Corinth. And more than that, this was not a time in which there were churches in all of the towns surrounding Corinth and in the cities that were near to it. This was a beachhead of the gospel that Paul had established. The gospel was crossing over from Palestine and from what is now modern Turkey, called Asia in the Bible, into Europe. This is a time in which the gospel is not known in England, or what is now France, or what is now Spain. And so this is a crucial point in time. Would the church spread beyond Palestine or not. So faced with this monumental challenge, whom does Paul send to deal with this? Titus. That's who Paul sends. Now remember, Paul could not go himself. Other emergencies had detained him. And he was concerned that if he went He might make the situation worse because of the the conflict and the, the misunderstanding with the congregation. And so Paul sends Titus to follow up on the letter that he had written to correct the Corinthians. So this was a visit that would require skill, it would require diplomacy, it would require sound theology. And it would require resolve and steadfastness. And so Paul chooses Titus. So that tells us that he has complete trust in Titus. Have you ever had an occasion in which you had a delicate situation that needed to be dealt with, that you weren't able to deal with personally? Who do you send to assist in that matter? For many of us, we would send our spouse Because they know us best. Because we trust them most. Or we might send our best friend. Someone that we know inside and out. Someone that knows how we think. Knows what our hopes, our dreams are. So what we see here from our text is the very fact that Paul is sending Titus. Shows the strength of the relationship that these two men have. Even before these events had come up, Paul had been blessed with Titus. And so what this tells us is, there is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. We are not meant to live the Christian life in isolation. We need each other. Even Paul, who wrote much of the Bible, needed relationships and needed others and this is especially important today i think the most dangerous aspect of our current pandemic is not disease it's not hospitalizations it's not intensive care units it's what it is doing to our relationships to our society to our people I'm not saying we shouldn't take necessary precautions, but we cannot be isolated from each other. I don't think Paul would have foreseen FaceTime or Zoom. But I can tell you this. If Paul was here living with us now, and he knew that you were isolated in your home, that maybe you're at home now watching worship, Or maybe you're here and you just come out on Sundays to watch worship. But you're concerned about the disease. You're concerned about others around you. And so you are not getting together with others. What Paul would say is, you need to do that. Even if it has to be done by video conference. Even if it has to be done through a face covering. Even if it has to be done outside. We need to find ways to be with each other. This is not optional for the Christian. We're not meant to live life in isolation. We need the encouragement that we get from each other. We need the accountability that we get from each other. And so you need to, in these days, strain every muscle, strain every nerve to maintain the contacts that you have. I'm not asking you to be foolish. I'm not asking you to go against your medical professional's advice, but I am asking you to use every single means at your disposal to stay connected. Whether you are a young child who can't go to school now because your school is doing everything online, or whether you are older and because of your health concerns, try not to leave the house at all. Find ways to connect with people and to build community. That's how important relationships are. Are you tempted to withdraw to yourself? Are you tempted because of our circumstances to downplay the necessity of community and the church? To say, Pastor, it's okay. I read my Bible, I pray, I watch the worship. Community is really not that important. Perhaps you are here or are watching this morning and you haven't committed even to God's people to a church. You think it's just enough for you to study or to watch your favorite minister online. You need to know that that is not the church. And Jesus came to build his church. Not just isolated individuals. Especially now you cannot isolate yourselves. You need to find ways to be in community. But Paul is especially blessed now with his relationship with Titus. Now we saw in the last two weeks that God has comforted Paul. God did this through the affection that Paul had to the Corinthians and by the news that he received of their repentance and obedience. And this is just a fact. Paul says it matter-of-factly in verse 13. Therefore, we are comforted. It's a clear, stated fact. But it was even a greater blessing to Paul, a greater joy for him to see Titus's joy Paul rejoiced because Titus was joyful and besides our own comfort he says we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all and so this joy was in a sense even greater than Paul's joy at hearing the news of the repentance how can that be It's because Paul had a love for Titus and he knew that Titus was a partner and he knew that Titus was looking out for the good of the Corinthians as well. But what I think this shows us most is that Paul was more concerned about people than about the work itself. And this shouldn't surprise us because the gospel work is about people. It's not an abstract principle. It's something particular. And so we need to follow Paul here. Too often, the mission or the work or the goal or what we need to get done becomes more important than people. We see this in our marriages. We see this in our families. We even see this in businesses. People are more important than the work or the mission because people make up the work and the mission. You will never have a successful school, a successful family, a successful business unless you have people that are pulling together, strengthened in their relationships, and caring about each other. Our joy should be full when others rejoice. And there is a second personal connection that gives Paul comfort. And this should not surprise us either because Titus was sent to bring a report back about Corinth. Paul told us that he was anxious to hear about the Corinthians and how they were doing. All the way back in chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said he had no rest because he was in Troas and Titus wasn't there. He wanted news. And so he crossed over to Macedonia and Titus wasn't there either. And so he didn't know what to do, he had fear. He had concern. Have you ever experienced this kind of anxiousness? Perhaps a sensitive matter and you're waiting for someone to call you back to give you news of how it's been resolved. Or you're waiting for a return email to solve the problem and let you know everything is well and good. And so what you do is you you check your phone about every minute or two even though you know you haven't missed a call. Just maybe it didn't ring this time and I've missed it. And you turn on your computer and you look for your email. I'm sure I've missed the email. Maybe the the speakers were on mute and I didn't hear the notification. You're anxious. You want to hear back. Well, Paul had done all that he believed he could do. He'd heard news of the problems. And he had sent a clear and direct, some might even say harsh, set of instructions to the Corinthians on how to deal with these problems. And now he just had to wait to find out what the result was. And he waited also knowing that there were those in the midst of that congregation who were trying to undermine him. And so he sent Titus to get word. But more, he sent Titus to make sure that his instructions were followed. Now, how was Titus prepared for this? We might think... That Paul would have lowered Titus's expectations. There is a saying that goes something like this: "Always underpromise and over-deliver." Right? That's how you become a hero at work, or in your neighborhood. You downplay what you can deliver, what you can promise. And then you work your hardest to deliver at such a high level, and everyone is wowed by you. That's how you set yourself up for success. It's a principle that many a company has made billions of dollars on. So what Paul could have done was say to Titus something like, you know, I don't know if these Corinthians are going to listen to you. They didn't really listen to me. They're not really all together. They're a little bit scatterbrained. They'll listen to just about anyone. There's all kinds of conflict here. Their theology isn't so great. You know, do what you can, but don't be concerned if you can't get 100% success, Titus. It's not my fault. It's not your fault. It's their fault. He could have complained about the Corinthians. He could have said that they were the ones that were at fault for all of the problems, and that would have been true. Now, we call this in our modern day, throwing people under the bus. And you do it to make yourself look better by making them look worse. The advantage is it would make Paul look good. It would even make a partial success look great. But what did Paul do? He tells us he did just the opposite. He boasted about the Corinthians to Titus's face. That's what the Greek means. Right in front of Titus he boasted about how great the Corinthians were. He might have said to Titus, this is a great congregation. They are a loving congregation. They have good hearts. They have strong faith. You just need to go there and you need to build them up because I love these people. They are one of the best congregations I have ever seen. Now, this would be the same way that Paul talked about the Corinthians to the Corinthians. Do you remember in verse 4 of this chapter, Paul says, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. So the same way that Paul spoke to the Corinthians' face, he spoke about them behind their back to someone else. There's an important lesson here. You don't talk about someone in different ways depending on whom you're talking to. Honesty and integrity are important in the christian life. Now what Paul was doing here was taking a risk. The safe bet as we said was to underpromise, was to underplay. Instead he has overpromised. He has overplayed. He hasn't just given the facts, he has boasted about the Corinthians. In effect, he's told Titus, "I'm sure that they're going to respond properly." They are wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ. So what will happen if they don't respond well to Titus? Then Paul is likely not just to have a conflict with the Corinthians, he's liable to have a conflict with Titus. Titus would come back and he would say, what did you set me up for, Paul? You told me this was all going to be sweetness and light. You told me they were all lovey-dovey. You told me they were all kind and good. It was like being thrown into a buzzsaw. They talked behind my back about me. They challenged me. What were you doing, Paul? So this is a real risk that Paul is taking. But praise be to God, Paul's boasting proved true. He tells us this in verse 14. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. Paul could have been ashamed by the outcome. But instead, God has made it true and has strengthened all of these relationships. Not just between Paul and Corinth. Not just between Paul and Titus. But between the Corinthians and Titus. They are all strengthened by what the Lord has done. Think about how encouraging that would be for Paul. Now, what can we learn from this? First, that we have to trust the Lord. The whole matter of this was in God's hands. If the church and its mission was going to survive, God would have to bring it about. Now, when we understand that, it makes us bold. You see, knowing that God is in control, we can act without fear because we know it doesn't depend on us and our skill and our wisdom and our words. It depends on God and his faithfulness and his promises. Now, let me ask you, are you living like that right now? Do you act knowing that God is in control? That God is in control of your life. That God is in control of this pandemic. That God is in control of this election. That God is in control of our nation. That God is in control of the world. And perhaps most importantly, that God is in control of his church. And his gospel. We are coming to a point in our nation... Where Christians are concerned about harassment, laws that are written to oppose the church and the gospel. But this is nothing compared to what goes on in the world today. You've seen that this Sunday is a Sunday in which we remember the persecuted church, where children of Christians are kidnapped in Africa and in India, where Christians are jailed in China for preaching the gospel. Does that mean God's not in control in China? Does that mean God is somehow asleep in Africa? Of course not. We have to live with the knowledge that God is in control because without that, we have no hope. And with it, we have every hope. Our only hope is the Lord. Will you trust him today? The second thing that we can learn is that we ought to think and speak the best of other believers. Paul actually spoke better about the Corinthians than they deserved. He downplayed their sins and he overstated their virtues. He had had theological disagreements with them. He didn't mention that to Titus. He had been hurt by them. He didn't dwell on that with Titus. You see, instead, he told others what a blessing the Corinthians were to him. And we, as Christians, need to cultivate such a view of other believers. We need to cultivate such a view of others in our church. We need to think the best of others in our church. That they are an encouragement to us, and we need to encourage them. We need to think the best of others in our denomination in the PCA. We need to think the best of Christians in the broader church, both here and all around the world. Where we can, we need to lift up and speak well of others who have left behind self to follow Jesus. Too often, we're unwilling to do that to any extent. The third thing that we learn is that we ought never to fear speaking the truth. And this follows in line with the first two things that we've just discussed. Now, notice that Paul's speaking well of the Corinthians does not mean he withholds the truth. Often, we think that the only way to be nice to others is to give up the truth. Paul doesn't ignore the truth. He doesn't shade the truth. It's actually just the opposite. Paul says, just as everything we said to you was true. Paul only spoke the truth to them. This is a picture of speaking the truth in love. If you wonder what that looks like, it looks like speaking God's truth in a context in which you lift up others and think the best of others. Paul took his relationship with the Corinthians so seriously that he did not want them to continue in error. Any correction that he gave them was for their good. Not to score points, not to win a debate. So clearly, despite all of the problems before him, Paul was blessed by his relationship with the Corinthians. He received comfort from it. Now the second thing we see is that Paul received comfort from God's work in others. How could this be so? How could Paul have maintained such a positive attitude in the face of all the attacks that he received? How could he be so positive about the Corinthians? How could Paul have been comforted by his connection to the Corinthians when there were so many conflicts, so many problems? Paul tells us even that he rejoiced still more because Titus was refreshed. By the Corinthians. Was there something inherent in the Corinthians that made them especially lovable? No. Not if you've been following along through the first seven chapters. No, what happened is Paul took comfort from God's work in them. What Paul had seen before, what Paul had hoped for the future, Titus saw. That's what we see in verse 15. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all. How you received him with fear and trembling. Paul describes this through the eyes of Titus because it's fresher and it actually verifies Paul's own opinion. There are two things that Titus saw. First, he sees the Corinthians' obedience. Now, now what does this mean? Is this... Just about them doing what Paul said to do. And because they followed instructions, Titus is refreshed. And isn't obedience something different than God's work? Isn't it what we do as opposed to what God does? How does this speak of God's work in them? We have to understand Paul's use of the word obedience here. When Paul uses obedience, it almost always means the proper response of faith. The main exception to this is Romans 5.19, when Paul speaks of the obedience of Jesus Christ. In other places, otherwise, Paul writes of the obedience of faith. In Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 16. That response of faith to the work of God. Or in Romans chapter 16, he uses the word obedience almost as a synonym of faith. When he talks about earlier in the letter, how the whole world has heard of their faith. And then at the end of the letter, he says, the whole world has heard of your obedience. It's virtually the same sentence. Paul's making these two words synonymous. And the Greek word helps us here. Because the Greek word behind obedience means to listen and to make a proper response. So the Corinthians obedience is the result and the response that they give to the work of the Lord in bringing them to Jesus Christ. Don't forget the context of this word obedience here. The Corinthians were a people who were lost in sin and darkness. The gospel had come to them by the Apostle Paul. They had embraced the truth. They had believed on Jesus and they were changed. That's what Titus sees. The change in them shows that their faith was real. Change always results from believing in Jesus never the reverse. We never change ourselves in order to believe on Jesus Christ. We believe first on Jesus, and Jesus changes us. And Paul and Tim and Titus both understand this, and so they are comforted and encouraged to see what God is doing in the Corinthians. They can see it visibly, audibly, in the obedience of the Corinthians. The second thing that Titus saw was that they responded to him with fear and trembling. That's how they received him. Now, at first, we might think it odd that this would encourage Paul and Titus. After all, why would it be good for the Corinthians to be afraid of Titus? And we might say, shouldn't fear and trembling be something that's reserved for God, not man? Well, Paul is the only New Testament writer to use this phrase, fear and trembling. And trembling. And by it, he does not mean alarm or panic. No, what Paul means by this phrase is understanding the attempt to do the best you are able to accomplish something. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says he was with the Corinthians preaching the gospel in fear and trembling. Because he knew how important preaching the gospel was. And he wanted to do it to greatest effect. And he wanted to serve his Lord honorably and to the best of his ability. Paul describes that believers are to live out their salvation in fear and trembling. In Philippians chapter 2. And that means that they are to live out what God has done to the best of their ability. He means here that the Corinthians were an encouragement to him because of how seriously they took the work of God in their lives. It caused them to act with fear and trembling, to desire to serve the Lord to the utmost of their ability, and to do that in such a way that was obvious to Titus and others. And this produced an important result in Titus. His affection increased all the more, Paul said. And so his relationship with them became even closer because of what God was doing in their midst. Now one final thing for us to see at the end of this chapter is that Paul also gained a confidence in God's work. This last verse, verse 16, marks a close in Paul's thoughts about comfort, joy, and his relationship with the Corinthians. After this chapter is over, he's going to move on to the important matter of the collection for Jerusalem in chapters 8 and 9. And he'll speak about Christian generosity. And then in chapters 10 through 13, he will turn to deal directly with the false teachers that are in the midst of the Corinthians. But now here, he concludes and sums up his thoughts. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Paul tells us that he rejoices again. And this time he rejoices because he understands the unstoppable nature of God's work. Earlier he may have been concerned. He may even have been worried, apostle though he was. That the conflict that he had with the Corinthians would not be resolved, would not be healed. But God has shown Paul that he is able to do above and beyond Anything that Paul could dare to ask for. God has so healed the split that no fear at all remains. And our translation captures this well. I have complete confidence in you. The the Greek word for confidence here means courage. It means boldness. It means to have a certainty in something. Such that it results in confidence. That's what Paul has. God has so done a work that Paul knows it cannot be undone. The work that God has done in the Corinthians can never end. It will never be undone. It will not fail because it's God's work. His confidence in the Corinthians is based on his confidence in God. Is this how you think about other believers? Or rather, do you doubt them because of their own weakness? Well, you know what? They could doubt you. Because you have weakness as well. Or instead, are you confident in them because you know that Jesus is at work in them? And that Jesus will never fail. Think about your own life and how you rest upon the work of Jesus. And as frail as you are, as sinful as you are, you know that Jesus will get you across the finish line. You know that Jesus will make you into his image. You know that Jesus will bring you to God. All of those promises are true for every other believer in Christ. And so we should have the same level of confidence in Jesus' work in them that we have in Jesus' work in us. The Lord wants you to know that relationships are the most important part of the Christian life. It begins with your relationship with Jesus. By faith, you are united to Christ. That relationship is a saving relationship. Your sins are put on Jesus. And Jesus' righteousness is put on you. And that is true for every believer around you. Everyone who believes in Jesus is united to you. Because you are both united to Christ. And that should be a cause of great encouragement. When you are tempted to be downcast because of current events or because of your circumstances, you need to remember that. Remember that Jesus has changed you forever. He has given you a reminder of that when you see it in others. Don't separate yourself from that source of encouragement. You were meant to be a part of the community of Christ. Jesus will encourage you through those relationships. Let's pray.